Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Scientists in France have taught, get this, rats how to take selfies using a mechanism what? that gives the rodents sugar every time they press a button. They train them to take pictures of themselves and in the process produced a commentary on the notions of pleasure and reward associated with the addictive indulgences of social media. Uh, Jordana. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. I have lots of questions about this. Okay. Like, is there a little paw going on the camera? Like, are they putting in cameras? Is it a button? Like, I feel like I need to see a video about that. Uh, yes, there is a, uh, like this glass enclosure and the rats put their paw on a button, which clicks the selfie and then delivers them this reward of sugar. But then they eliminated the sugar and there was just the image that they were seeing to replace that as a reward so now the rats are seeing themselves and that has become the reward and apparently oh. they can glean knowledge about right I mean, we know that humans are rewarded by food sugar but yeah. we're also mm-hmm. get this reward from like seeing ourselves and pictures and whatever on social media the mm-hmm. what do they say the dopamine hit or whatever of that mm-hmm. uh, so apparently they're drawing some conclusions like Jordana, are you confident that, you know, learning about rats taking selfies can help us be less addicted to social media? Do you think that's a real possibility? I hate to poo-poo medical science, but we already know what happens when people take selfies. We studied the brain. You get the dopamine hit. It's very, you know, we, we get it. I don't know what, what they're going for with the rat study. I'm not convinced. I'm really not because they're rats and we're humans and there's multiple other factors. Instead of just a training thing, this isn't just like a trial. Okay, does this work in these kind of genetics or these kind of, you know, if you're similar to humans, if this works in rats, I feel like there's a lot of other factors when it comes to social media and kids and reward centers of the brain. I don't know. I'm not all that convinced about this one. I don't know. Someone said, why not rats? We've trained brats to do it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and adults and everybody. But, oh boy, yeah. I'm not a, not a selfie person. Uh, the ice castles in Delano and the ones in Maple Grove both shortening their seasons mm. due to the uh, lack of snow and wimpy weather we're having. These are just the latest victims of our almost non-existent, uh, non-existent Winter here in Minnesota. Jor, I know for the most part you're celebrating the warmer temps. You're going to take a walk, I'm sure, around the lake when it hits 50 degrees mm-hmm. on Wednesday. I will, yes. But is there any part of winter that you're missing that you wish was here? Well, you know as a family we like to go <clears throat> snowboarding. Mm-hmm. So we were not planning on taking a, a ski trip this year because we have to or we are going to take some other trips. So we were can't do everything right so we decided not to do that one this year 
But I wouldn't have minded like going up to Afton. I know they make snow there and I can probably go. So I think I'll miss snowboarding if there's really no, if there's zero snow. Because I would have taken a few days to go to Afton, you know, with the fam. And we would have done that. So yes, I will miss that. What are you missing the most, David? Because I know you miss everything. Well, it's the it's the cross country skiing for me, which I have ah. been cross country skiing in tiny little laps on man made snow, which is just mm-hmm. not nearly as fun as being able to go way out in the woods. And yeah. I mean, there's so many trails here, but most of them don't make yeah. snow, so they're all closed this year. And that's uh, yeah, that, that's a bummer for anybody who cross country skis. You know what else is really fun? I'll tell you this: the dog loves. I have you know my uh, yes. little rat dog she's you know nine pounds white fluff Uh, i love her to death but she um goes to play out in the snow and you know gets into it and flips it up with her nose and then if the snow's really deep because she's only she's very small and not very high off the ground mark will actually like shovel her a path in the snow that she can run around like literally like a track in our front yard which is bigger than our backyard so she can run around in the snow in a track and it's so cute and it's so fun to watch them playing so honestly like that's something that i might miss the dog playing in the snow because that's just pure happiness (laughs) deep sea vision a company in north carolina says this week that it has captured a sonar image in the pacific ocean that appears to be get this Amelia Earhart's Lockhead 10E Electra aircraft, the company, which says it scanned over 2,500 square miles of the ocean floor starting in September, posted sonar images on social media that appear to show a plane-shaped object resting at the bottom of the sea. There's no way to confirm this until they visit the site physically, which they plan to do soon. Jordana, how intrigued are you at a possible Ending to the Amelia Earhart mystery. Yeah, I yes, I am intrigued. And I will watch the Netflix movie about that. I don't want to pay the extra $3 on Amazon Prime for it. But no, I, abs- I mean, that is a mystery. If, if it really is a mystery instead of some kind of weird, bizarre cover-up, that is a mystery. What happened to her? What happened to the plane? Um, and I don't know. It's probably been way too long for them to figure out what happened to the plane when it went down. I imagine the all of the controls are all corroded. They probably have a coral reef living on yeah. it at this point. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't imagine. But but yes, if it is her plane, I would like to have some closure on yeah. that mystery. Of, you know, you got to... Yeah. It's always good to know what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we're going to learn any lessons. I mean, that technology is clearly yeah. outdated, although maybe the bolts on her plane lasted. <laughs> I'm looking yes. at you, Alaska Airlines. <laughs> Um, but, um, I bet yeah, they would be able to glean all. something like mm-hmm. did the aircraft, so? yeah, like did it fail in flight or after it hit the ground? You know, is it in multiple pieces? I, I bet they uh, could glean something oh, from the wreckage of that. Uh, yeah, I I, mean, I'd be very you, intrigued. By um, that. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if they could tell because once it hits the water, I'm sure it broke apart. Um, yeah, they I, never I, found I don't know. her body, right? No, no. So, I mean, that's the other question is there any evidence of her body in the plane? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Very intriguing. And would that still be there all these years later? Mm. I mean, my goodness. Following their highly publicized feud, Snoop Dogg is extending an olive branch to former President Donald Trump. That's right. The rap- oh. rapper who uh, previously had been vocal of his disapproval 
of Trump's presidency appeared to change his tune in an interview with the Sunday Times this weekend, saying, Donald Trump, he ain't done anything wrong. He ain't done nothing wrong to me. Excuse me. Jordana, uh, what do you think about Snoop Dogg uh, apparently having some kind words towards President Trump? And do celebrity comments like this make a difference in our political scene? Sorry, Snoop. As much as I can appreciate either Snoop's music and the businesses that he's built for himself, I don't care necessarily about his views on Trump, and I would not trust them. And even though he hasn't done anything bad to you, Snoop, you know, there are 91 indictments. There is this conviction for sexual assault and now defamation. I mean, he's done wrong things to other people. So And why did Snoop get involved in this? Does it say, David, why Snoop decided that we all needed to hear his opinion? Um, Or is it just, you know, free speech America? uh, No, he just was asked about it in in an interview that I don't think centered around this. um, And his comment was just that, done nothing wrong to me. But I don't think it was like, it wasn't like him endorsing the, you know, Trump or anything like that. Okay. Yeah, I am not interested and I don't, I would not... I would not take political advice from Snoop, nor does it really matter what he thinks. No, I'm sorry. Nor does it matter. Not really. It doesn't matter at all what Snoop thinks about politics, local, global, or whatever. So, um, sorry, Snoop. Sorry. I like the commercials, but I, I don't care. Okay, I understand that you don't care what he thinks and mm-hmm. don't think it changes your mind. But don't you it think doesn't. that celebrity comments on politicians matter? I mean, Snoop Dogg is a widely respected celebrity in a lot of circles. Don't you think it matters what people like that say? I, I do. Uh, you asked about me. Yeah. So okay. I am not swayed. Absolutely not. But like, for example, when that whole Kanye mess came out with his anti-Semitic remarks, it my son is a, was a huge Kanye fan. So it affected him deeply. And there were many discussions about uh, comments like that. You know, we have celebrities right now commenting on what is happening on the war in Israel and Gaza and those that are and some are educated activists using their voice. Others are bandwagon people just, you know, jumping on because they think they know something about this conflict. Um, and I think you have to look deeply at the celebrity, uh, how much impact they have on your life. And if you care what they think or, you know, if they're educated about the situation, like what Snoop thinks about Trump, I don't care. And it doesn't affect me. But you're right. If my kids were huge Snoop fans. Maybe they would come to me and ask me about this. But, um, yeah, I mean, celebrities have a platform. And I think before you say that's great for them speaking out or they should shut their mouth, you also have to know how involved in the conflict or, you know, whatever they're commenting on. I mean, if, you know, Snoop had a career as a political commentator, then I might think differently. But Snoop has a a line of pot, you know, and, and he's got like a cereal or shoes or whatever. So I'm not I'm less interested in his thoughts on geopolitics. And that's what I would explain to my children, too. Like, I'm less interested in Kanye's thoughts on anti-Semitism, even though he should not have said it because he has a huge platform. But, you know, this person is somebody who's mentally ill and whose opinion cannot be trusted. And that's how I try to look at it. I'm not going to hold it against Snoop, but I still like the commercials. But, you know, that he makes with Martha Stewart and what have you. But, I mean, why? Are, were you affected by Snoop, Snoop's comments, David? Um, you no. don't care about Snoop. No, I don't care about Snoop. But I do think that 
I mean, because he's not somebody that I look up to or want advice from or anything like that. But I do think that celebrities entering the political world makes a difference. Like, I, I think Snoop saying that and that being on news channels and being on social media, I think that does probably just as much as a, as a, a politician giving an endorsement to a candidate. And those are things that matter that, that I think could potentially move the needle. I hear you. And I guess I just wish we weren't so affected by celebrities. Yes. You know, because Snoop's just a regular person, especially when it comes to he's he has an opinion and this is America and he gets to say what he wants yeah. to say. But whether it affects, you yeah. know, I hope people know that well, realize that. That's just it. Yeah, and I think what you said is so important that we should listen to people if that's their expertise. If Snoop yes. is telling you like yes. what strand of weed to smoke or what new rapper to listen, listen to, then you should listen. <laughs> but if he tells you something about <laughs> politics, you should not listen. That's right. Thank you for articulating what I could not in a very long answer. Um, I also have a message for Martin Scorsese. Wrap it up, buddy. Let's talk more next. So Mark and I took the journey. We packed a lunch. We um, planned our bathroom breaks. And we watched Killers of the Flower Moon. You can watch it now on streaming. Because it's up for so many awards. I did not see it in the theater. Because honestly, like a three and a half hour movie or whatever long it is, I would not go to the theater for that. Because I know I would miss something. And that's just too long. So we had dinner in the middle of it. So we took a little break. Um, got up and got on the treadmill a little bit because I needed a break from all that watching. But here's the deal. Martin Scorsese, I know that you're a genius. I know that you are, you know, hailed in Hollywood as a hero. That just a savant about movie making. It was too long. It, you needed to embrace brevity and you needed to wrap it up. When you do a news story or you write for a newspaper, you have parameters. You, even on this show, we have parameters. You got to do the interview in six minutes. You have to get out at a certain time. And sometimes it makes things better because you have limits. So you have to tell the story in a more compact way. This story is fascinating, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's about basically, and I don't want to totally ruin, ruin it for you, but um, I'm going to say a crime family because uh, I felt he was almost like a mob boss, you know, Robert De Niro, who is doing his best to steal even more land from Native Americans by having his family marry into the families of the Native Americans who have head rights to the land and basically get the land for himself. By, this is a true story, so I'm not telling anything you don't know, by killing off members of the family he marries into. It's based on a true story. He went to jail. He went to prison. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, the character eventually, like I said, I'm not telling you anything you don't know because it's a true story, eventually goes to prison. But And it's an important story to talk about how Americans – did awful things to Native Americans, or once again, you know, were mistreated our Native people and stole their lands. And it was allowed, you know, allowed to happen. And, and via murder, you know, not smallpox blankets and not, you know, big fights out in, 
you know, in in um, the fields of Oklahoma, but this was very systematic, marry in and then kill them from the inside. It's awful. But it was too long. And this story is such an important story and needs to be told and needs to be heard because I did not learn about this in history class when I was growing up in public school in New Jersey. I did not know this story. But had he made it a little more exciting and more fast-paced, I think the story could have been told in a better way. And I think it would have, like, Mark was zoning out by the end, you know, and then we're forgetting, okay, wait, who's married to who? Who's, who, who is this person again? Just because it was so long and drawn out. And I understand Martin Scorsese is a genius in Hollywood terms. And the movie was very artful. There were images of fields burning in silhouette and yes there was you know leo with his long pauses and it was very dramatic but it's like oh my gosh martin get on with it and tell us what happened see to me it just sounds like it was uh this piece of art was done in the wrong way that this should have been a mini series this could have been a four this piece of art was done in the wrong way that this should have been a mini series this could have been a four oh. episode mini series each episode's 45 minutes and maybe at the beginning oh. of each episode it kind of does a little mm-hmm. scene setter assuming that you you know stopped and picked it up a day or two later right to reintroduce some characters reintroduce some storylines and mm-hmm. it would have been a much more digestible piece of uh, art or media if it was right. a, a miniseries. And we've seen those be very popular. Now, I don't know Absolutely. how the finances of that work, if you make mm-hmm. a lot less money, if it is that or whatever. But um, I, I would not, I would, like, I, I probably will never watch this movie because it, it's three and a half hours. I'm not going to do that. Was, but if it's yeah, a miniseries, it I mm-hmm. I probably would. Yeah, you're right. And that's what it should have been. I know that's not what Marty Scorsese does. He makes epic movies and or Robert De Niro. Like, I get it. And you want to win awards. I totally get it. And it's a very important story. But I feel like he made it too boring for the rest of us with shorter attention spans. Like David said, I mean, a three and a half hour movie, it's just too long. I don't think Americans are going to sit through that that long. And I also really don't think it was as impactful. I think had it moved along and kept our attention, you only take the good parts. In news, they say, you know, uh, the listeners or the viewers don't know what, they, what you didn't tell them. There are parts that he could have left out or maybe that were over-dramatized that just tell the story. It's good enough as it is. It's powerful enough as it is. So, Marty, wrap it up. I know. See, this is like me not caring about Snoop's opinion. Marty does not care about my opinion, but this is still America. And just like Snoop gets to speak his mind, I just wanted to share that with you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Why can millennials not find homes? Is it because your mom or dad 
are is taking up all of the family-sized homes? <gasps> Let's talk about that next. Young families are saying they can't find homes to buy, and it might be your mom or dad's fault. That's right. <laughs> Home prices, sure, they're climbing faster than wages. We got a problem with that also. But a lot of young families are saying the reason they can't find a home is because baby boomers are staying in their homes for longer. They want to be in a place that's familiar to them. They don't want to go to a senior facility. And there is a a shortage of smaller homes because, you know, if you raised your family and you had two or three kids, you probably have a maybe a four bedroom, maybe a five bedroom home. And if you can still live there, why would you want to leave? Empty nest baby boomers own 28% of large homes. Millennials with kids own just 14%. That's according to Redfin. That's like a real estate organization that does these studies. Isn't that crazy? Gen Z families own just 0.3% of homes with three bedrooms or more. But remember, Gen Zs are younger. Like Gen Z, Marley's a Gen Z, and she's... She's only 20, so they're still pretty young. So they, they got time. I asked David in the break, I said, is your mother the problem? David, are we gonna about <laughs> to throw uh, Mrs. Josephson under yes. the bus? Because is she part of the problem? Uh, yes, this is exactly what's playing out in my family. Um, mm-hmm. My parents have a nice suburban house that mm-hmm. they used for our family. And now uh, my, my mother lives there by herself. And does she need that much room? No, but it's the house that's paid off and she's comfortable with and the neighborhood she's comfortable with. And I don't, I mean, like, I want my mom to stay there. It's a great house for her. She should stay there. Mm -hmm. I love it. But at the same time, like, she's the problem. She's the reason, not her specifically, Mm -hmm. but, you know, this phenomenon is the reason that younger families aren't able to sometimes afford the house that they want. And, I mean, I look at us, I, I... I live in a smaller home than my mom, and we have four people, and my mom lives in a bigger house, and she has one. It, like, is that a problem? Uh, I don't know, but I guess we're seeing this on a bigger scale. What about you? Six five one four six one nine two two six. Is are you a gen a Janet? Excuse me, a millennial that can't find a home? Is it unaffordable, or are you on the other end? Are you an empty nester? that has decided to stay in your big home. I'll tell you this. My parents are both retired. Thank God they could do that. They saved. And they um, have a home in New Jersey, but they sold our childhood home. And they moved to a retirement community, like a 50 and older. And let me tell you, friends, this is like summer camp for older people. I say 50 and older. I'm 50. It might be 55. I'm not sure. not sure if I could move in yet. But... um, You know, my dad's 80. My mom's close. Not yet, mom. Don't worry. And they love it. You know, it's got the big clubhouse and the pool room and the pool in the back when the kids come over. It has the activities. They do, you know, it offers classes, pottery and painting and all sorts of book clubs, all sorts of things. Who wouldn't? And I'm not not saying you have to move out of your home, but my goodness, who wouldn't want to live there when you're retired? I can't wait to move to a retirement community because... It's like camp, especially if you've got some other friends there, if you can convince all of your friends to move there. And I will say this. I don't know that my parents did so much downsizing. Their home now is one, two, it's three bedrooms. 
and we came from a five bedroom home. You know, I had I have two other siblings, so we all had our own bedroom. Thankfully, it was very nice. Um, and there was a guest room for my grandmother downstairs. So we, it was a five bedroom home, and now they have like a four bedroom with like a little loft area where they play cards, or a three bedroom, excuse me. So. Square footage wise, I don't know how much they downsized, but it's just more manageable living. You know, their bedroom is on the the lower level, which a lot of older people want so they don't have to do the stairs all the time, which I totally get. So these communities are built for older people, not necessarily smaller homes, maybe a little bit, but um, so you still have the space, but younger people can't live there. And if older people did that, it would definitely clear the market for younger people to have access to larger homes. Um, so David, have you ever asked your mom about switching? You know, <laughs> hey, I'll move into your home and you can move into my home? Um, uh, uh, s- <clears throat> not quite in those terms, but we have had okay. real conversations about what it will look like if my mom needs help someday. And if okay. we need to be closer to her or live near her. And I think what this then goes into is homes and properties are also investments and sources of generational wealth. So in one side, we're talking about housing people, right? And mm-hmm. it, like, th- that's what's broken. My mother has four unused bedrooms every night. There's a warm, nice bed that someone could be mm-hmm. sleeping in and no one is sleeping in there. Uh, mm-hmm. And that like... Th- that is a problem. A different family could be there, which means that everything moves up and other families can get housing and there's more housing for people that can't afford it. Um, but on the other side of it, like that's part of the the investment and the wealth that my family has been able to mm-hmm. get is that my mother owns a house. And that's the reality with property is that it's one of the most – uh, effective ways to to build wealth and to have mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know a future is to have a property that you can sit on, and those two conflicts the wanting to build yes. up equity in a house but mm-hmm. then not using the rooms I think are clashing right now right she has every right to stay there by the way, you know certainly absolutely. as long as she 's yep. safe and can maintain it and it 's absolutely her home but mortgage mortgage rates are falling. In 2024, they're expected to go even lower this year. And um, younger people, get this, there's a term for what they're hoping for. It's called the silver tsunami. It's older homeowners selling en masse that they're they're hoping that, okay, because maybe older homeowners might need, even though it might be much smaller, they might still need a mortgage. Not everybody's home is paid off. And if you're an older homeowner and you don't want to have these giant mortgage rates, I can see why you are holding on to your home. But that's what the younger people are hoping for, that these boomers are finally like, okay, either I need help or I have to get out, you know, and and um, it's just too much of a home yeah. for me. But hopefully it'll happen because you're right. Like when you, at that point in your life, I remember um, my first husband and I bought our first home in Eden Prairie and I was pregnant with Marley. We didn't even have any kids. So we were two people moving into a five, uh, four-bedroom home at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. We filled up those beds pretty quickly because within the next four years, I had three kids. So we filled up those bedrooms. But um, yeah, we, and we bought it from people who were empty nesters, yeah. but they weren't old empty nesters. Mm-hmm. They were, their kids had just left. They were moving to Arizona or something like mm-hmm. that. But that seems to be the natural progression, but it's just not happening yeah. today. Yeah. 
Well, and I think, you know, going back to my mom, like, oh, if she could move into a townhouse that was single level living, that was, you know, near like a good community that she doesn't want to live with, you know, a, a senior community. She wants to live in a normal community, right? If she yeah, could buy a place like that. that that was in her own neighborhood or in mm. my neighborhood, that'd be great. But guess what? That property doesn't exist. So she's not going to move to a 55 plus place or, you know, mm-hmm. way out of the city where she's not close to us or her friends or something. So, you know, that place doesn't exist. So she's going to stay in the big house in the suburbs. Yeah, I get that. And your texts are fascinating. I didn't even think about this point. This texter says, Jor, <clears throat> this is exactly what our school district is telling us about population projections in our community. The school gets the most money from the state through per pupil funding. So kids are graduating and their parents aren't leaving to make room for new families. It's hurting our school funding. Wow. Okay. I didn't even think about it like that. Of course. Yeah. You have fewer kids graduating, fewer kids going to the schools. Wow. That's an excellent point. Um, hey, Jor, owning the house is the least expensive way to live. No financial incentive to leave. Did your parents lose money, even trade? Space is wonderful. No, they made money on their house, but you're right. They live in a, a diff- They live in a 50 and over community, and it might have been more like an even trade, like what they made on the house that I grew up in because they moved to a community that was sort of in southern Jersey. You know, I lived closer to being outside New York City. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd have to ask them. I don't know. I didn't ask them about their finances on that but um jor space is where one spends 85 percent of their time yeah the, i i get it you you want space i totally get it uh let's see calling in is oh i'm sorry david mark. i don't so have had a mark in rosemount hi mark hi mark what do you think about all this are, are you still in your home i am i'm uh close to 80 my wife passed away uh a little more than a year ago i live in a larger home in uh, the rosemont area and uh, I'm just comfortable in my house. Uh, I've thought about uh, getting something smaller, moving away, and uh, I enjoy the woods here. Um, I've had some neighbors uh, of my age uh, that uh, look to sell and get a condominium. And after they toured and, uh, you know, some very nice uh, areas, they just decided they'd be more comfortable at home. When my uh, dad died and uh, my mom was by herself, uh, she was happy at home. And uh, then we decided, you know, you're living by yourself and there's some senior apartments and uh, let's just go take a look. Well, she kind of looked and thought, you know, that's nice. And uh, there's people there. She'd have like a two bedroom unit with their own kitchen. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was very nice. So we moved her and uh, Mm -hmm. she was happy. And about a year later, uh, she said, uh, and we hadn't sold the family home as of as mm-hmm. of that time. We had a relative staying there. She says, you know what I want? I want to go home. And uh, I just don't feel I fit in here, and uh, I just want to go home. So we were carefully, uh, you know, said okay, and uh, got her back home, got her a dog and a security system. She was happy as a lark being in her own house. Wow, so I, fascinating. Uh, so that's some of the perspectives of yeah. us older folks. We spend decades raising a family, and, uh, you know, this is our home. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's where we're most comfortable and feel safe. Mark, do you have a large home, multiple bedrooms? Yes, a couple yeah. 3,000-square-foot uh, larger yes. homes. And, well, uh, Mark, you should happily and healthily live in your home for as long as you want, my friend. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much. Have a good one, Mark. I, you, you as well. Bye. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, yeah, see, I mean, you can't argue with that. He makes an excellent point. And then the texter who said, well, we need more kids to go to the school and support the school board referendums and graduate. So we get funding for the state to keep the schools good. I, was, I get it. I, I see it. But boy, I would have a hard time if they could still live in their home. I get it how it is really hard to leave. Let's take a quick break. I'll re- your texts are fascinating. We'll continue the conversation right after this break talking about this housing crisis i'm not talking about low income in the city i'm I'm talking about millennial families cannot find housing because older people and thank goodness that they're healthy enough and can stay in their own homes but they're choosing to live in big homes even after they're empty nesters because that's where they raise their kids and that's where they're comfortable and we've had callers and texters from both sides and i think that this is a, a very interesting dilemma I guess we need to build more, friends. That's what needs to happen. Uh, this texture says, hey, Jor, affordable housing affects seniors, too. It's difficult for seniors to find a place to live that's not more expensive. These nice 55-plus places have huge association fees, making the move not affordable. I, I totally get that. Yes, I get it. Uh, Jor, we'd like more of this, senior and younger housing. Uh, Liz in Burnsville. Okay, I'm talking about it, Liz. Jor, we could build more housing, the texter writes, but <clears throat> the Density Brothers, I'm not sure what that is, think everyone should live in apartments. Oh, they're, they're anti-single-family home, except for themselves. Interesting. Um, Jor, my mom is 95 years old and still lives in her 30-by-32-story, 30 112-year-old farmhouse. Wow. I hope it's good and in good shape and you come out and help out with the, with the, um, the, the fixer-upper parts. Let's see. Um, oh, this is a good text for you, David. Hopefully David has his, uh, had his mother move ownership of her home into his or his sibling's name. If, God forbid, his mother goes into a care facility, uh, then it can be put against her to pay for care. Oh, David, that's something you need to think about. And you need to talk to Matt Gutman about that. Write down this number. I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's that's a good thing to talk to yeah. Mac Gutman about. Absolutely. Well, no, and I mean these are the, all the things that happen is that these houses that a aging person has becomes at some point it becomes an asset that they have that then yes. is yes. either going to get used up in care mm-hmm. or transferred to generationally or whatever, and it, it becomes more of an asset even than it is a, a dwelling at that point. Hmm. Approximately 10 years ago, this texter writes, uh, I moved to a senior community. It's like the Ritz-Carlton of living. Oh, this is about his parent or her parent. She was living in a very lovely home in a different state, but the cost of living which was much lower there. Unfortunately, the senior place is very expensive than what she received for her home was not as much as I had hoped to cover her expenses at the senior living home. Those are things that a lot of people realize come into play. Yes. I, I get that. And they can be expensive. And then maybe, you know, you're going out to dinner more or because uh, you're not in your kitchen and you're cooking more. You might have to now pay to get around places where maybe you used to walk. I, I, I understand. I understand. Seniors uh, will fight like mad to keep stuff they've accumulated for over 50 years. Senior living apartments aren't built uh, for the horde of household stuff. So most people won't move till it's nearly a health crisis. Ooh, okay. Okay, I hear you. Hey, Jor, in our rural community, many small fixer upper homes are bought by investors, then they rent it out to young couples who want it. I know. 
And that's another thing. People are having a hard time with ownership because they can't afford the down payment and and are forced to rent. Now, a lot of housing issues, friends. We'll continue that conversation um, later in the show. Well, not later in the show, but at some point we will continue that conversation. When we get back, I'm going to speak with uh, Colonel Eric Bauer. There was that deadly drone attack that killed three U.S service members. So what does this mean for our country's future, possibly entering an armed conflict? We'll talk with Colonel Bauer after the news on CCO. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.